Oh my God, it is Friday. Thank God. <laughs> Good morning, beautiful people. If it's around nine o'clock, you've got me, Babs Rolls Ivy. Harry Jones is somewhere handling the universe. Uh, I hope everybody's good. It's bright in the elm. It's sunny. I think today is going to be damn near perfect. Tomorrow is going to be even more perfect for Elm City Lit Fest. I can't wait. After I get out of uh, LSAT practice class, I'll be over there hanging out all day. And then uh, Sunday, I think it's going to rain, which I could use the rain because I need to do some stuff in the house. And I, you know, I'm one of these people, I cannot. I cannot have a nice day get past me. <laughs> I got that from my mom. You know, I just got that from my mom. So if it's a nice day, I have to be in it. If it's a rainy day, not so much. A rainy day, I, I like to be home puttering in the house, messing around, cleaning, reading, drinking wine, listening to jazz. That's, that's, a, that's a good Sunday for me. Although this Sunday, I'm going to the symphony at three o'clock to hear uh, 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 Joel Thompson um peace so uh so i'll be there for the for the afternoon and then uh and then i'll be back home but i don't even know what i'm doing tonight it's friday night in the elm i don't have anything on my calendar so i i don't know if i'm supposed to be somewhere if there's some event i want to catch i i i just i don't know what i'm doing so i know i got stuff to do all day saturday I got something to do on Sunday, but I don't have anything to do tonight. So I have to think about this in case I get in trouble and supposed to be somewhere and didn't put it on my calendar. So somebody will let me know if something is going on that I should be at. <laughs> I don't like to miss a good time, baby. I don't. Uh, and I, I can't hang out too late because I've got um, uh, Yale access to law school uh, program tomorrow at nine. And I like to be on point for that. I like, I really like to be awake and aware and about it. So, uh, so that's where I'm at all day. Uh, let me tell you something. I realized after reading a couple of articles yesterday on what is going on in England with the lettuce lady, <laughs> shall I compare thee to a head of lettuce? Lettuce by any other name is still lettuce? <laughs> oh no, wait, I did that wrong. Uh, trust, trust by any other name is still lettuce. Oh my God. Well, she wasn't elected. They, they have elections every five years. You know, this is the problem with, you know, Americans. You know, we always think everybody's system is based on our, our mess. But um, so, so, she was, you know, she was plucked by her party into this space. And they must be, that party must be stupid. I don't know how they, but you know, Americans are stupid too. We got, we, we voted in a, a fool too. So there's enough foolishness around the world for everybody, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, so they have elections every four years. So five years. So they're not up for elections just yet. So they'll have somebody in that seat uh, by October 28th. Uh, that's what they're saying. So God knows who they're going to pick now. They better take a page from Game of Thrones and get somebody in there who know what they're doing. I just don't get it. But all right. I don't know how you spend all that time putting this person forward and they don't have skills. 
and then they whining about how hard it is. Uh, if it was easy, baby, everybody would be doing it. Did <laughs> somebody tell you that? But anyway, so that's one thing. Um, so they're going to straighten that out over there in the UK. I'm not going to put no much, too much energy in it. I just was wrong about um, no one voted for her. Her party put her in, the conservatives, I guess. And now, and now everybody's whining about she wasn't really conservative. I don't even know what that means over there. I, I don't want to know either. I just want to know. Uh, we'll see who they put up next. They might have to get their boy back, who they kicked out because he had a party doing COVID. <laughs> I was like, now nah, that sounds lame as hell, don't it? <laughs> like we got so mad at him because he—I mean, he had a party during COVID when everything was shut down. Nobody was supposed to be at parties, and he wasn't masked, and then lied about it, but then told the truth. They didn't tell the whole truth. So, you know, they got mad, so they ousted him. I mean, of all the things to oust somebody, like, all right, okay. I guess that's a big enough deal, but I don't know. Maybe you couldn't have sanctioned him or something or cut his, cut his bar bill in half or something. I don't know. I know they just, so now he might, I don't know. They might, they might put him back in power. They might, listen, he has some skills, whatever it was. He has some skills, so I got my heater by my feet because it's so chilly, cold. I'm not turning my heater on to November. I just, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it for October. <laughs> I'm turning my heat on November 1st. That's it. End of discussion. <laughs> um, gosh, I've got wind of all these children who are having these respiratory problems who are um, uh, sick across the country and in Connecticut, New Haven particularly, uh, we've got a lot of kids in the hospital, so much so that they're taking over playrooms and stuff so they could house hospitalized children. I was like, what? Uh, I, I don't know what's going on. And they're saying it's not, uh, it's not um, COVID. So I, I don't know, I don't know what's happening. Thank God I don't have little kids because that mess would get on my nerves. Oh, you got to worry about so many things about your kids. Now you got to worry about this, uh, you know. So they're trying to figure this out. And uh, thank God the news put a little bit uh, uh, in the news. Otherwise, I don't think I would have, I mean, I would have no reason to know this, um, but the fact that they're just now putting it in the news uh, uh, in hospitals with respiratory failure, I don't, I don't know what's happening. So hopefully they'll get to the, to the heart of it. Uh, flu season is climbing yet again. You know, I'm telling you, mask was a was a really good idea. Masking was a really good idea, and and I think people should probably, particularly people who are prone to flu season, should mask. I'm no doctor. I just play one on the radio. I'm just telling you. And for my money, that's what I would do. So hospitals are swamped with kids battling respiratory viruses that aren't COVID, uh, and it's spreading spreading uh, at unusually high levels. I don't even know what to do with that. 
and uh, it's it's everywhere, uh, babies, infants, and young children. So uh, they're saying over seventy percent of the pediatric hospital beds in the U.S. are full. What is happening? You know, no one likes to see children suffer at any cost. So, gosh, I I hope they can get to the heart of this. Eesh. And they're saying it's not COVID. It's got to be COVID adjacent. It's got to be. You know, maybe it's just COVID adjacent. I don't know. I don't know. But God, whoever's got little children and they're suffering, my heart goes out to you. Because, you know, there's nothing like a suffering child. And you sit in vigil. You need answers. And can't nobody answer. And you're watching your kid sick. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible feeling. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. No, I've had four kids and I've watched them all be sick at some form, shape, or fashion. And it is no easy, uh, no easy thing. You worry and you try not to show them that you're worried because you don't want them to get nervous or afraid. And you're the parent. You know, my, my oldest daughter, Brianna, has bad asthma. When she was coming up, um, and when she came to us, it was undiagnosed. So they were, when she came from there, always was calling it bronchitis. It wasn't. She had full-on asthma, so you know we had to we had to get a nebulizer. We had to, she had to travel with her little thing, and you know, as soon as the seasons changed, you know, we had to, you know, get her get you know make sure we sat vigil and watch over her because as soon as the seasons changed, she would get asthma, and I mean bad asthma, like oh lord, you know, and. Uh, it's gotten tempered over the years, but you know, when there's real season change, it, it affects her. Now, I guess that it'll probably be like that for her whole life. Um, but all the children have had some kind of, you know, a little bit of illness. My children weren't sickly children. And I, and I really do think it's because they did not grow up in the house having milk and cheese and butter and all that kind of stuff. If they had it, they had it outside the house. Do you know what I mean? Because I have such a severe, I have such a severe dairy allergy. So, so my kids were never sick like other kids were sick all the time. They weren't sick all the time. Except, you know, Brianna had asthma, but that's a little, you know, seasonal, you know. So, and once we got her through it, then she would go through the season, she'd be fine. But then it would start up again when the seasons change. And it didn't matter what the season was. She'd have asthma in the summer. She'd have asthma in the spring. She'd have asthma in the fall. She'd have asthma in the winter. Soon as the season changed. And then it would go on for you know, a week or so. And then, and then it would get better. And then she would be better. And you know, then we're like, okay, next season. <laughs> you know, as soon as I hear the sniffling and the coughing, I'm like, okay, seasons are changing. So, yeah. So my heart goes out to these, to these, uh, to these parents that are dealing with these sick kids across the country. God bless y'all. And, and I mean it, because it's it's hard to see a child sick. It really is hard to see a kid sick. And because uh, you're so little and so vulnerable. And and I know there are doctors working around the, the country. And if y'all know the words of prayer, please offer up your prayers. It's all right. Even if you don't pray for a damn thing, it's all right to put in the universe that you want wellness for children. It's simple. 
I, it's not, I'm not trying to question your faith or what you believe or whatever. I'm just asking you to whisper into the universe, out into the air, into the ether, wellness for children during this difficult time. Uh, I think today is the, the, uh, the police uh, funeral today here in Connecticut. Uh, uh, and uh, it felt it feels like it's been a long process. Uh, but there are the, the the Bristol police officers today, and my heart goes out to their their family. You know, uh, uh, they've got somebody's prepared uh, twenty thousand meals for the those attending the Bristol officers' funeral, and you know, police officers from around the country are going to come. And pay their respects and and be with the family and uh, no, it's a tough thing. It's a very very tough thing, and uh, no one wants to see police officers harmed at all. So my heart's my heart and prayers go to the two families of the officers killed and to the family of the officer that was wounded. I know it's going to be a tough day for that family, for the wives, for the children. It's going to be a very tough, tense day. And uh, I'm glad that they are feeling the love and the support uh, of their colleagues and comrades. So um, it's a somber day in Connecticut today. Somber day. And, uh, and rightly so. So, so if you know some Words of prayer, please pray for them. Uh, we'll get through it as best we can. We are made to do hard things, beautiful people. We are made to do hard things. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna see if I can see if I can get to see my fair lady. I could have danced all night. I could have danced all night. That's from uh, my fair lady. <laughs> the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. <laughs> it's amazing how many of these little songs I remember. <laughs> Repeat. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. <laughs> I do love a good Broadway musical, people. I love a good Broadway musical. Oh, Friday night at Jack's. If y'all want some good jazz, um, Nick DiMaria is playing tonight at Jack's. So if you're downtown or you want to get downtown, I, I don't like Jack's uh, bar. They don't got good drinks. They got all those drinks they play to those kids. <laughs> no shade to them, but I like grown-up drinks. I like to drink at Ordinary because I have grown-up drinks. They're not gonna sit, they're not gonna, they, they are, they make good cocktails for grownups. Jack's Bar, you know, they're serving those kids, you know, young people. Yeah. They like things ridiculously sweet. I don't want that. I was watching somebody make a cocktail the other day and they were using simply, simply lemonade and simply some other thing with vodka. It's like, that is not a cocktail. That is, a prescription for hangover. I'm drinking that. But people like it. They like the sweetness. You know, American, American palates are for the sweetness. 
And because, uh, you know, we grew up drinking Kool-Aid and sugary things. So when you grow up drinking sugary things, that stays with you. So, you know, anyway. Uh, oh, there's a piece up on the New Haven Independent about the symphony and, uh, and uh, the piece that uh, Joel Thompson is doing, premiering. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Oh, and they even tagged my um my conversation. Yay. Okay. All right, whatever. Facebook. Uh so I'm looking forward to uh seeing this on Sunday. I I, I am such a symphony fan. Uh, and it just started when my kids were little. And we said, take that. I started taking them to the symphony because I wanted them to have that experience. And at that particular time, the symphony was doing family nights so you could go for free. So that's what I was doing. I was starting to take them to, for free. And uh, it was such a wonderful, a wonderful experience. So, and I was so, uh, I was just so enamored of the music that I, I just started, I just kept going and going and going and going because I loved it so much. Um, so, uh, so a million years later, I'm still going to the symphony. I love it. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful uh, date night, a, a wonderful opportunity for date night. And I know people like date night, you should go someplace where you can talk, 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 talk. But I also think that when you're dating, when you're just dating somebody, I think there is uh, a real need to see if you could sit with somebody and not have a conversation. And if you can enjoy the same thing in silence. I mean, of course you talk at the symphony, you know, an intermission and breaks or whatever, but there is something to be said for not filling up the space with so much conversation particularly when you're dating. And I, I love that as a measure. Can I be with somebody? Can they go, like, and actually go and be present and enjoy it or find it interesting? You know, I don't, you know, I, you can't gauge whether somebody's going to enjoy something or not, but you can get a sense and talk about if they found it interesting. Now, if they absolutely hate it, then, you know, and if it's important to you and that you love it, then, you know, you store that in the back of your mind so when you do your pros and cons about do you want to go any further in this relationship you know i'm not um uh, i'm not i'm not relationship desperate so i don't need to i don't i don't need to work hard at being with somebody that i think that's my point so i always find these kinds of things a wonderful way to sort of see if you could be in in community with somebody if they can follow along if they can find interest in anything outside of their normal whatever they find interest in i always find that as a good measuring tool you know and then it tells me all i need to know if i if i dig them or not dig them you know i i just don't like people simply because i like them you know i mean there are people that i just like i don't want to date uh, there's not really anybody I really want to date, to tell you the truth. But I do like, I get that there's this real need to be in companionship. 
And I don't feel the need for that at this particular point. I've been doing a lot of soul searching about this, particularly as I am asked out by people who I'm always surprised by, but I get it. And, uh, and I've gone on a few dates. I, I had coffee with somebody the other day who I liked very much. We'll see where it goes. You know, we'll see where it goes. I, I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not terribly excited or terribly unexcited or any of that. I think because I just like the way that I'm moving, <laughs> uh, uh, that there's nothing that's going to consume me to the point where I'm like, I have, I've, I'm doing these things. I'm not lonely. I'm not, certainly not lonely. I've been lonely in, oh my God, a great long time. I, I just have so many things I like doing. And for the first time in my life, I could just think about my own self. I mean, just, I mean, I could in my 20s. Um, but, you know, I didn't have structure or community in my 20s. You know, I was just wild. But now, you know, I have community, I have structure, I have things that I like, I have interest, real interest, you know. Uh, so I can't imagine uh, anything that will pull me out of that. When I was younger, of course, I'd be in these relationships, maybe all consuming, you know, ah, oh, breathless. <laughs> and everyone should have breathlessness. Like everyone should Everyone should have it. And, and I will again, you know, I'll, I'll have that breathlessness again, but that's not my singular focus at the moment. My focus right now is the things that are in front of me and the things that are on my plate um, that require my attention. And I don't want to be distracted from. And listen, I'm not missing out on great love. I've had so many great loves. Let me tell you, oh, oh my God. I, I had so many great love. I'm like deep and abiding love, love affairs. Just amazing. Everyone should have that. So when I, when I say that's not my focus, I'm not saying that because I never had it. I've had it. I've had too much of it, pretty much. So I could, I could take a different tact with my life. You know, I could think about um, where I want to be and where I want to go without, you know, looking, always looking for, somebody else outside of myself to fulfill my hopes wishes and dreams i don't i don't have that thought you know i told somebody i grew up i always had boyfriends i've always had boyfriends always oh my god when i think about when i look back i was never without a boyfriend of some sort Ugh. and you know that is no measure of anything. <laughs> Having some man on your side is no measure of anything other than you have a man on your side. I, okay. <laughs> I think that's a lovely thing. But you know what I have? The ability to consider my own self without anybody else's opinion. And for me right now, that is quite invaluable quite invaluable, particularly all the things that I want to be doing. And I think if I, and I would love to say, oh, I would love to be with somebody who would support every single thing I do. And I, and I think my friends and people who I know support every single thing that I do. And that's more than enough. So 
and I don't I don't concern myself with sex either. Like, all right, I know what sex is. I've had so much sex in my life. Let me tell you, <sighs> there could be a whole damn movie book on that part. It's fine, you know. It's fine. I don't I don't think about these things. Uh, I don't think about loss or need or any of that. That's that. I think that's really the point that I'm making. Uh, if somebody shows up, they show up. If they want to be down, they can be down. You know, uh, but I'm not centering anybody like that ever again in my life. I'm just not. You know, I'm centering myself. So if somebody wants to get up with me or get at me, these are the terms. <laughs> these are the terms, baby. I, I'm not going to cruise direct i'm not gonna tell you what to do i'm not gonna give you advice on anything in your life uh and i'm certainly not going to uh gatekeep and concern myself with your comings and goings i'm just none of that i i just see i don't have a whole lot of time and the time that i have I want to be all about me. I want to solely center me in all the things of my life. That's it. That's it. I don't even, I don't, I don't even care if I don't have a date to things. I don't even care about that. Ain't no why I don't care because anything that I go to in this town, I know everybody. I know a lot of people. So if I go to a gala without a date, guess how many? I know like 75% of the people in the room. How, how am I by myself? <laughs> Whoever I sit next to, left or right, across the table, I probably know. And you know what? If I don't know them, guess what happens? I'm going to talk to them. <laughs> by the end of the night, we'll be exchanging phone numbers and meeting for coffee and I'll know them because that's the kind of life I like to lead care about a date kidding me i go where i want to go i call up a friend and you know if i really need to have a date i'll make my son get dressed up and drag him or my daughters <laughs> that's the joy of having grown children what are you doing i need a date i need you to get dressed let's go i'll pick you up i'll bring you back i mean I can't tell you how many times I've dragged children to stuff. Ah, oh, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> oh, that's the way of the world. No, that is the way of the world. So, uh, what else? I'm just trying to think it's the weekend. And uh, I've been thinking about you know, the other day I was at um, I was at the Up Together meeting hosted by the Community Foundation. Well, uh, 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 Cesar uh, was hired to do the collaborative foundation wrangling of the three foundations, three foundations, I think, Harvard, New Haven, and I think Bridgeport. And so he hosted, he brought some folks together to meet with these folks that do, uh, uh, that, that, that are advocating for and, have, and are doing this in various places around the country 
of um, um, providing poor people with money, cash, um, uh, to help level the inequity of pay or the inequities of life. And so it was amazing to be in that space um, with these other foundation people. But, you know, this is what I, you know, when I sit in there and I listen, nonprofits and foundations, and this is going to be harsh. And, and I know people are going to like cringe when I say it, and I don't, I don't really care. But these foundations and some of these nonprofits have really been the gatekeepers for white supremacy, particularly in black and brown communities. And, uh, and it, it becomes very apparent when you sit in spaces and talk about how you give resources to poor people, because foundations and nonprofits have crafted a narrative and bought into a narrative and carry a narrative that somehow or other poverty is, it, it exists because people are not smart, people are not hardworking, and it's their own fault. Now, they will never come out and say this. They understand that none of that is true. But when you have these conversations about the redistribu redistribution of wealth, it comes out. Like when you say, when you wanna give some money to somebody, particularly poor people, you wanna use language like entitlements and and you know all those kinds of things, and then uh, you want to make them jump through hoops by, well, if we give them money, then we have to give them financial classes, as if somehow or other they are equating financial literacy with poverty. These people know how to make a a, a dime out of make a, make 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 a dollar out of fifty cents. What do you? Financial literacy, poor people all over this country should lead financial workshops telling people how to do it, how to stay alive, how to stay afloat. But, but somehow or other, these foundations and these nonprofits start that, well, if we give them this, we need to make them do this for the money because therefore they're going to squander it. They're going to do all these things. They're going to and nothing is further from the truth. So I'm in these spaces with these nonprofits and foundations, and they just sound like white supremacists. Even the black ones. I mean, even the black ones. This is how insidious, and this is how much disdain we have for poor people. We think poverty is a result of people not working hard or they don't have the intellectual capacity. That is so not the truth. This country was built on the have and the have nots. There's been inequities since the very beginning. And until we deal with that and are willing to close it for real, we're going to have this, these, these white nonprofits swooping into communities, doling out pennies, and then and doling out pennies and then making people crawl to get these pennies. I, I just sat in there and I was like, this is very, and everybody's, and everybody's like, oh, this is a good idea. How would you do it? How did it, 
and then and, then, and I mean just I mean, they just spent a whole lot of time saying what the barriers are what the barriers of magic what the barriers could be in no time on we have all this intellectual capital in this room surely we can figure out how to give money away listen you give grants away all the time you just give you just give money just give it away what is the problem what do you think people are going to do if you give somebody an extra $500 and we already know the research says if we give somebody an extra five to a thousand dollars a month on top of whatever it is that they're making, we don't tax them for it. That that will help lift them out of poverty. That means somebody go get and they could possibly go to parent teacher night. They could possibly be at more of their kids' after school activities. They could possibly you know, not have to make a decision about what to get in the grocery store. Do you understand what I'm saying? But somehow or other, we have this, this, this mindset that is so ingrained that you won't speak it out loud, but everything that you do and provide speaks it. It's as if you know, poor people are consistently punished for a system that they are trying to survive in that they did not create. And I just, I'm tired of this narrative. Oh, we just give them financial literacy. Why? You don't say that to banks that you still, that you, that you bail out. You don't say, you only say that to the car industry. You just say you don't say that to anybody who gets money. When Brett Favre got money, he got money and didn't have to do a damn thing but steal it. <laughs> do you know how much ten of money is out there that less than ten percent gets to the population of people that is supposed to serve? Less than ten percent. Imagine if. That money just got back into community in ways and reimagined ways. It's, we, we need to reimagine inequities. We need to reimagine that. And how do we fix it? And we act as though when talking to poor people, giving them cash is like the worst thing on the planet. But we have no problem with giving money to sports teams for stadiums oh it's going to be good for economy <laughs> you think not giving poor people money so that they can shop and live and pay rent and buy all the things and do all the things that that's not good for the economy i dare say it's probably better for the economy because money can rotate back through in and out of communities stadiums and arenas and fields do not so I'm just, we need to reimagine how we want to dismantle inequities in this country. And we need to do it now. You know, some people need to get their minds right. You know, and this is disheartening to me because when, when I'm in spaces with Black people who use the language and the tools of white supremacy and they think they are justified in using the language and the tools of white supremacy, 
oh my God, I have such a problem. I'm looking at these sisters and brothers. I'm like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Do you even see you using the tools of white supremacy? That when you when you talk about poor people the way that you do, that you are just using language that is was created to keep people out of things. It's exhausting to me. Just it's just exhausting to me. So anyway, I came away feeling like, and there was a few people in the room because I you know I had to say something. I did say something, and people I did, people who understood what I was saying. You know, we had a little conversation after the fact. Uh, and a sister finally said what I what I was gonna say, but I was sitting there in the room just listening. You know, I, I had the ability to listen. And she said what I was about to say. She's like, you know, this sounds, you know, it sounds like we in this room, and it sounds like we we funneling this this idea through white supremacy. And she said, you know, I want these people. I had to decolonize my mind around foundations. She's like, because I I bought into this foolishness too. It's like poor people ain't poor because they're not smart. They're not poor because they lack intellectual capacity. They poor because they lack money. That's the damn definition. <laughs> no money. <laughs> but if you give people money, you know, and they've done this around the country. So it's not like this is some new thing. They've done this around the country and it has been successful and sustainable. Do you know what I mean? Like you do it for you, you, you take. You take a couple of families, a hundred families, and you supplement their whatever it is by five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, whatever, whatever it is. You know, I think the average that they posted up on the on their uh, on their presentation was uh, like thirty nine hundred dollars a year. You put that into a family's pockets. You know that they don't have to pay taxes on. They don't have to. They don't have to do anything for it. Just supplements their, just it's just added to them, given to them. It made such a tremendous difference in the in the quality of lives. It brought people up. It brought people up. And I was like, why why don't we want to do that? Why don't we we do this with rich people all the time? <laughs> they just know how to do it in different ways. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have any love or regard for poor people, you know. I mean, people, I, I listen to people talk about, well, we, we, the poor people that we serve, the poor people that we serve. Gosh, the poor people that we serve. Okay. All right. How about the people that you serve? People that we serve, that would be my. That would be my language, but all right. I just feel some kind of way. I just, I just feel some kind of way that we, that we penalize, we penalize people in poverty as if somehow or other they created this. That they woke up and said, "Hey, I'm going to be poor today." You know, and and we should we should absolutely be incensed by somebody saying we are the working poor. We should be ashamed. Everybody should be ashamed to hear that. We are the working poor. To me, that's just akin to saying slavery. Gosh, the working poor, that means you work, have a job, probably two or three jobs, and still 
still. Still, you cannot change your economic situation. And, and, and it's shameful to me. We're building apartments that people can't afford to rent. And, and, and people sort of will say stuff like, well, no developer. But have we, have we said to developers, this is what we're willing to do if you do this? And I get it. Listen, I know developers like, I don't even want the hassle. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a build on something, what I want to build, and I don't have to have any, any, any support from any municipality or any government thing. Because as long as I use my own money, I could do what I want. And that can't be the way we operate. Can't be. Can't be. We got to change that. You know, and that's just real leadership. Uh, uh, that's just real leadership. And if we're not willing to look at that and think about that, what are we doing? I don't want to hear anybody quote scripture. I just don't, I don't, shut up. I don't want to hear it. And I know there are churches that create development corporations to build housing and, and they should. I think that's a good use of church money because they recognize if we don't do it, it ain't going to get done. <laughs> it's not enough of them doing it. Not enough. Not enough of them doing it. So I just, I just, we just need another way to reimagine how we are in this world. And I know this sounds very, um, I guess, Pollyanna-ish, I guess. You know, to be concerned about our neighbors and people, you know, and to, uh, and, and there's so many people who live in fear of losing what they have um, that they can turn a blind eye to the plight of people. And I get it. I do. You're so busy worried about how you're going to keep up your mortgage, how you're going to pay your bills, how you have something at the end of the month, how you're going to provide for your family, that you cannot even begin to think about people who are less. You, yes, you can't do it. You think you can't do it because you're so focused on making sure that you keep what you have because you don't want to be one of them. And as somebody who understands that personally, <laughs> having lost everything and, and having lost every single thing, you know, that I thought uh, was, uh, I guess, the American dream or success or whatever, I can tell you uh, I'm the same person that lived on Bellevue Road that I am on Ivy Street. I'm the, I'm the same person, same person, same loves, same passion, same commitment to community. Actually, actually like this a little bit better. <laughs> I, I like it a little bit better, to tell you the truth. I like, I like seeing, I mean, over here, I see my neighbors, I talk to them, I'm concerned about the children that I see. Like I get to, I get to experience community in ways that I couldn't on where I was. That just was not what you did over there. You know, you kept your you kept your grass cut. You played in your backyard. 
walk to your neighborhood and say hi, but it wasn't a real sense of community in the way that I have community here. And I'm not suggesting people lose everything and do what I did. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm suggesting that we have to reimagine how we think about communities and people in communities and stop sort of saying, uh, you know, those people, poor people, all kinds of people. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. We got to reimagine a new, new way. And uh, <sighs> just wears me out. Wears me out. Wears me out. Wears me out. But anyway, I, so I was, I was struck by, and, I, and you know, when I'm in spaces like that, I know I'm supposed to be in spaces like that uh, because I'm supposed to hear something, and I heard it. I heard it. My own, my own um, fund does that very is designed to do that very same thing. You know that you know raising money to do that very same thing, because I know there's something to having cash. That cash is the equalizer. And I get that foolishness too. What you gonna give drug addicts money? Yeah. <laughs> Why? People who are, you know, people who've gone to prison for drug addiction is not trying to go back out and do drugs. You know why they go back and do drugs? Because they, they lose hope in the support systems that don't exist around them. You know, this just don't exist. And until we until we change our minds about how we deal with people, you know, this this is what I want people to consider. If somebody's a, if a woman is a drug addict. That means that some trauma happened in their life to push them to the point where they, they need this because all hope has been lost. And we see time and time again, when you put things in place for people so that you don't make them beggars, that's really what I'm talking about, not making people beggars and not making them feel less than and not heap, heaping so many what you think is quality control measures over their lives, that people get better. They just get better. But we'll keep doing the same old mess that we're doing and calling it progress, I guess. Once, once again, you're a victim of optimism. I am, Harry. I'm not a victim. Not a victim, but, you know, Pollyannish was a pretty good word there because uh, there's just no way that people who, especially the middle class people who are funding everything and are they though? And they can't give anything away. You know, they, they try, they, they donate to certain things and everything, but to have, you know, that outlook to give people stuff for free, um, like in New York right now, right? The migrant shelters are better than the homeless shelters, right? So the, the, the migrant shelters have Xboxes, big screen TVs, four or five bathrooms where the, the homeless shelters in New York are struggling. 
to take care of the homeless. So it's like that. The thing is, is that the trust government that they know, you know how to how to deal with or prioritize certain things. So right now in New York, the homeless are being screwed over. See, see, it's that kind of mindset right there. That's that's not how you address the the reimagination comes in. This is how you reimagine that whole concept right there. How do we provide for humans? That's it. And then you move in that direction, not this or that. Yeah, but that's it how has it's to being be, treated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Harry. The time is ripe for a reimagining of how we exert our humanity in the things that we say we care about. So guess what? We don't care about homeless people. We don't care about homeless people. So let's start there. What we do at the moment, we care about immigrants. We care. There is a group of people that care about immigrants, and that's a wonderful thing. Now, how do we get people to care about homeless people beyond what they have always done to homeless people? And what they have done, Harry, is treat them as if we're going to do the very least for you because you are a nuisance. You're not a priority. You are a nuisance. So if we shift that dynamic and say, homeless people, my homeless neighbors are my neighbors. If we just drop the homeless part and say, how are we going to provide for humans? How are we going to provide for people? How are we going to provide for our neighbors? If we start thinking like that, then we will stop othering people. Oh, well, you're homeless. So therefore, I'm already going to assume you don't have, you're not smart. You, you probably got some problems that you haven't been able to work out, you know, and all these kinds of things. And we start to build a narrative that doesn't give them the help that they need. I'm just saying, I, my point is this, that we can reimagine how to be better humans. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I, I don't have any answers, except if we start from a place of saying, let me take, let me take these labels off people and deal with this from a place of, of humanity. I, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not, tr I don't want to pit immigrants against immigrant shelters, against homeless shelters. Where does that get us? That does not get us anywhere. It doesn't get us anywhere. I understand the inequities. I see the inequities. <laughs> what? I see it in the school systems. Why are some schools, why are Greenwich schools have more, have more resources than New London schools? Why? Why is that? Because we have not been able to reimagine how we see humans. Oh, those people over there are poor, so therefore they deserve less. Oh, those people are rich. They, they, they make a lot of money. They put into their schools. Every poor school I know has people who pour into it all the time. Pour into it. Some of the poorest schools get have more people pouring into those schools. They're not poor because, because they're not smart or they're not brilliant or those kids are not talented. They're poor because they don't have, there's a lack of money in homes to help do that work. 
Right. So then the big question is who pays for all of this stuff, right? Well, we can figure we can figure that out. The same way that we pay for anything, the same way that we pay for tanks, the same way we pay for well, roads, the same way that we pay the for the thing is is that everything is underfunded, right? So and we we're at 31 trillion in debt as a country. So <laughs> it's not like we're all we do is go into more debt every day so it's just who pays for this stuff and at what what point do, does the country start actually having to pay for it and start suffering which is what, what's going on right now with inflation and all of that stuff no 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 there's enough money for everything there's enough money for everything i i i fully believe that there's enough money for everything that's like saying I mean, there's enough, there's enough food on this planet for everybody to eat. There's enough food. There's a distribution problem. There's an inequity in who we deem is worthy of getting food. But there's enough food on this planet for everybody. There's enough air on this planet for everybody to breathe. There's enough air. We too don't much. gotta make we don't to make new air. <laughs> too much, too much air. Too much CO2. We gotta <laughs> A air problem. <laughs> we got an air problem. <laughs> Listen, Seattle got a bad air air quality problem. How, how do you live with that? How do you live with air quality problem? How do you do that? How, how do you say, somebody has to say, you know what, we're not going to live with poor air. We're going to clean this air. Somebody has to say that. You're listening to Love Babs Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I get it. I, I mean, I have these conversations all the time with uh, people in the office. And this is a utopian point of view. And it would, it would be wonderful if nobody ever suffered, if nobody ever went through need. You know, everything was just there, but it's just not reality. It's just, it's just who we are as a, you know, as a species. Um, and and also, it's just there is enough food for everybody, but who's gonna will, who's gonna willingly give free stuff out, right? That's the thing. It's that there's always somebody has to be paid to do something. That's why, you know, people want a new world order. Some, some, people, some people want a new world order. Well, Lord, I don't, when you say new world order, that makes me nervous. It, it does. It but does. I, I want to I reimagine humanity. I tell you that. That's what I want to yeah, do. That's I wanna be able to. <laughs> that we did reimagine it from cavemen to, and we keep getting a little more civilized, a little more, I mean, the technocrats want to take over everything right now, but you know, get a little more uh, advanced as we move on, right? But that advancement for some people is um, a smaller population and, a, you know, a tighter um, group of people that they could take care of, maintain, right? So it sounds like a zoo. Yeah, well, it is. That's what a new world order is, right? Some, some governing body controlling everybody. Yeah, and that means getting rid of all the undesirables that you well, you know are how, problematic. You know 
I know how the new world order works. You know how that works, but that's, I mean, it comes with everything that's coming. Everything that's coming, the self-driving cars, the robots, everything that's coming is... Self-driving cars that don't recognize Black people. So, exactly. That sees people of color, that sees people of color as a speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You know, rec recognition that doesn't recognize us. <laughs> yep. Facial recognition that doesn't think you have a face. <laughs> or they got one black face, Harry, and we all kind of, <laughs> we all kind of share it. And guess what happens? Every time we put our face to it, we get pulled out of line. Why? Because it doesn't recognize us. They got that one face. Oh, you look like you're on our terrorist watch list. So you get pulled out of line. And you got to wait eight hours. You miss your flight, everything. Because you got, and then they're like, oh, we're so sorry. <laughs> After you, they come to find out you are who you say you are. <laughs> wow. Well. Okay. I'm just um, saying. You know the, the lady we were talking about yesterday that asked for reparations. Oh, is there more to it? Yeah, she got $150. Okay, good. Go sit down. She got paid. Go sit down. You got your so, reparations. Go sit so down. So, Babs, it's October. I love October. Halloween. Uh oh. Right. So, I, I've been re the, this morning. I read two articles of haunted places in Massachusetts that we could go to. Uh uh. But <laughs> before you say uh uh. <laughs> so because you because you said we <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> well, in salem massachusetts this guy rents out an, an airbnb haunted house but he says from everything he's heard his spirits his haunted house they're all friendly ghosts so i don't know how you define friendly ghosts i mean the I guess the ones that don't the, terrorize you. Uh -oh. Do they put the covers on you at night? Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> what's a friendly ghost? <laughs> Do they put them on instead of pulling them off? <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm sure, I mean, it's an expensive Airbnb. It's a, it's a 1300 a night stay at the haunted house. Really? So we, we could do it, Babs. You know what I could do? I could stay in my my black ass neighborhood and be black ass for free and just <laughs> but but they're friendly ghosts and and be equally scared. <laughs> <laughs> they're friendly. I don't. I... <laughs> friendly to whom? Does that mean they're friendly to black people? Who knows, right? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I I'm I'm not gonna go with that one, Harry. I feel like. And then there's the a minute, haunted... The minute we go, Harry, we're going to have problems. <laughs> there's a haunted train tunnel. A, a tunnel oh, my God. Where you could go stay. So In a train tunnel? Yeah. So, I mean, those, are, those, those things sound like fun. Where would you sleep? You would never go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, you just well, you're probably you not going to go to sleep. You're probably you're not, not going to close your eyes. in a haunted place anyway. You, no, you're not going to close your eyes. You're just yeah. going to be... <laughs> you're just waiting for something to come get you. So. Harry, you're just going to be up. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be so exhausted the next day. You probably have a heart attack and die. No. 
I'll, you know, yeah. I have it. I'll sit outside in the car and, and have my camera on in case you need some help or something. I don't <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I don't want to go into a friendly ghost situation because that means that means they're just telling you it's haunted, right? So, they so you survive the night and they go, oh yeah, they're friendly ghosts. They did nothing. They, yeah, they're friendly. So I think they're just telling you it's haunted. Like I want to see something fly across the room. You know why? All right, I'll come to your house and throw a glass. How about that? <laughs> You know, that's what I want. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to spend $1,300, there has to be a situation where my bed is shaking or something like that, you know? No. But anyways, you got, you have a guest at 1015. Yes, I have a guest oh, at 1015. The Connecticut Motor Vehicle just uh, went online, or they've been online, but they, uh, they're giving you more services online. So that's a good thing. You get to wait two hours online. <laughs> well you'd be at the house well, i know you where be... you could be wherever you want to be Harry. yeah you don't have to you know bring your coffee you, your coffee's right there yeah you're just like all right i'm gonna wait i go to the bathroom i could anybody else is here i'm here by myself i'm yeah oh well, look they in recent years they've lowered the average wait time from an hour to 15 minutes wow so I don't you, have any reason to go to the DMV. What, what do you mean? You you drive, right? Yeah, but wh when do I go there? I don't go there. You know, you know what's interesting, and I know we got to go, but um, I have the handicap um, what do you call it? The card that you put on your wind, your um mirror, and it always ends up crumbling from sunlight. You know, it it breaks up. Like, it's not very, they're not using good materials. Oh, really? Because I put it in a plastic cover to protect it, and eventually it starts just breaking apart. Oh, gosh. You know, so now I'm like, okay, it has the, the ID number, the license number saying that it is a legit card, but I'm like, I, I'm going to have to call and try to get another one again. This is my... It's going to be my third one. I'm sure they Jeez. think, what the hell is this guy doing? But I'm not doing nothing. I'm just, just in the sun. Oh I, don't know people, I don't know if other people have that problem. He might Google and see. I bet you there's like a gazillion people. But at yeah. least it's not a Tesla battery. <laughs> but I, you know, I heard... Harry, I'm so I, over Teslas now. I am so I don't over. know if it was a comedian yesterday. I know I heard somebody say um that there's a fire hazard when your tesla gets wet <laughs> oh so i was like what but i don't know the joke every time i see them now i'm not i don't i don't desire one i used to want one so bad because i was like oh, oh but now that after i've seen all these after you told me how much it costs and then every ever since then harry i don't seen so many videos and then the batteries saying, right you gotta replace it he can't even get it in his car. <laughs> he's right. like, you call the comp the makers, and they were like, "Well, get in the car." And so he's like, "I can't get in the car." Oh yeah, it locked like, them out. I can't out. get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it locked them out. But also that battery that you got to spend twelve thousand dollars to replace the twelve uh, to uh, twenty six thousand. Oh, twenty six. It's like crazy. It's insane stuff. 
So my so man I was pay- like, I'm not buying another, I'm not buying a battery for this car. And there's no warranty for that. So before you finish paying off the car, you have to take out another loan to get a battery. <laughs> Mary, I would be pissed <laughs> off. So he's like, I got this car on my lawn. I can't even, in my driveway, I can't even get, I can't get in it. I can't even open it, the trunk, nothing. Cause it's all, I was like, yeah. that was, it's like, you know what? That's when you take a sledgehammer and just break it. Like, damn it. All right, we need do we need to take a little bit of a break or yeah, we gotta take a quick break okay. and uh we'll be right back. You're listening to Love oh, yeah. That Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5 FM and look for that other link because she has a guest. Yes, we have a guest at 10:15, so we'll be right back.
morning, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I am delighted to talk to Georgia Goldburn today, who is the uh, executive director, founder of uh, the uh, Hope Center for Development, Hope Development Center for Children uh, over there on Olive Street. And she's here this morning to talk about what they got cooking for Monday. Hello, Miss Georgia. You got to unmute yourself. Jeez, I do this long enough you'd think I would know. <laughs> you look amazing this morning. Thank so you. Glamorous Thank and beautiful. You. Carol, I'm trying to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're kind. So how are you? You know, I'm okay. Unfortunately, the childcare industry is not. And so... That's really what's cooking up for Monday is um, an alerting to everyone that we're not okay. You know, there is <clears throat> an African tribe that when they greet each other, they always ask, how are the children? And they properly assess how the society is doing by how the children are doing. And right now, the childcare industry is not doing well, which means that children are not going to be doing well because families will not have access to care for them. So while I'm fine, unfortunately, once again, we find ourselves in a crisis, which is predictable by the way, and which we have been trying to alert everyone in the state to. And so the crisis is that childcare places, centers um, are, have a staff shortage. Yes because they can't afford to pay, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, they can't afford to pay um, higher, higher wages. Yes, so the childcare industry is amongst one of the industry that is the lowest paid. And historically, it's always been that. But prior to the pandemic, we were able to attract other low wage workers. And what was wonderful about the industry is we could bring people in with low, with low skills and train them up, provide them with minimally a CDA, an associate degree, or help them to get a bachelor's degree. And a lot of these things are supported by the state. So we were able to attract a lot of people who were interested in working with children and saw those um, benefit as a way to advance their career and their profession. And unfortunately, what would happen with a lot of those folks once they got the degree and once they received the credential, they were able to move that into a setting where they could basically garner higher wages. But we always have some sort of a pipeline that we were able to attract new people and train them up and unfortunately lose them to the public school. So that was a dance that the childcare industry has been doing for many years. Lo and behold, a pandemic hit. And now we have all industries across the country, not just in Connecticut, across the country that are struggling to find staff. And the response of many industries have been to wait to raise their, their salary, their wages, and not only raise their wages, but wage, raise their um, compensation. The childcare industry is primarily funded by parents. And so that is the biggest part of every single parent's budget 
is their daycare cost. And so it's, there's already, there was already a tension with the cost for parents. Inflation is at a 30 and 40 year high. And so many parents just are not, were not able to do it before the pandemic and they cannot do it now. And we are not able to respond like other industry and say, oh, we're just going to offer an additional three to four dollars an hour to attract people into the industry. So that low skill um, pipeline is completely dried up to us because a person without an, with just a high school degree, a high school diploma can now go and work for McDonald's or work for Amazon, even work for Yale and make upwards of, of $20 an hour. We're just not able to do that with the childcare industry. And unfortunately you have people who have their degree who have a bachelor's degree, some of them have their master's degree, and their own, and, and, and many of them are making less than somebody who works at Amazon. And so the chicken has come home to roost for the industry, and we are not able to get anybody who are interested to come and work in a really very labor-intensive industry for $14 an hour, which is what the minimum wage is. Wow. And no benefits. All right, so so what do you do? I know you started an organization. Uh, you've got Circle, which <coughs> is uh, a shared services approach. Um, what role does that play in this? And and can that be a tool to raise awareness and leverage uh, to the folks who make decisions about allocation of resources? So Circle was designed specifically to do that because we recognize in any business you can either impact the revenue or you can impact the expense um, to make a business profitable. We recognize that we have little leeway in the revenue side because parents really do not have the extra funds to deal with the increases. And so Circle was created to build economies of scale because for a lot of businesses, childcare businesses, they're really very small. Um, the majority of childcare businesses in the country, 90%, I know this is going to be a shocking number, 90% of childcare businesses are family childcare businesses. They're wow. not, the, exactly, a lot of people are not aware of that. Kindercare and Bright Horizon are not representative of the childcare industry. They're very small, women-run small businesses. The majority, the, the, the medium size of a childcare business or the medium capacity of a childcare um, center in, in Connecticut is about 30 to 40 children. So these are really small business. So what Circle has done is to create us a, a, a network of providers where we can come together and share resources across the, uh, across the setting. Circle also are able to bring funding into the childcare industry that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And in addition to the funding and the resources that we bring, we are able to work with legislators and work with policymakers to make sure that they're creating policies and do and, and um, investing in the childcare industry in a way that will help businesses. One of the things we did last year as an example through Circle is the structure of many childcare businesses is such that many grant funders will not consider them. A family childcare provider will find it very difficult to secure a grant from say a community foundation. Um, a a for-profit business 
are basically precluded from applying for grants from any sort of a, a nonprofit foundation. And so Circle can come into those spaces and say, we can secure the funding because our structure allows us to do that. And then we can share those resources across providers. So an example, last year, we, we secured a quarter of a million dollars um, from the State Department of Education, and we were able to provide childcare for free, summer camp for free, for over 300 ch children statewide last year through 20 of our childcare network providers. So those are some of the things that Circle is really set up to do. And the event on Monday is also one of the big things that Circle has been working on, because it represents a launch of about eight um, workforce pilot across the state that is designed to attract and to train um, individuals in, a, in an accelerated way, give them the requisite skills that they're going to need to go into a childcare facility to work and make those individuals available to our network providers across, um, across the greater New Haven area. Again, there's about eight pilot that's actually um, operating right now. They have about 18 cohort. Circle is operating and has been funded to, to create um, one, to operate one of those pilot. And so on Monday, we are doing our launch event. And we have, so we are so blessed to have Rosa Delora, who's going to be there with us. Rosa was instrumental in helping to secure $50 billion um, for the childcare industry. Um, I had the privilege to testify before her um, during the um, during the pandemic to secure that $50 billion. Um, and Tony Walker will be joining us as well. And Tony is also a fighter along with um, with Rosa for the childcare industry. And Tony Walker was instrumental in helping to secure $6 million in funding this past legislative session um, to pilot um, apprenticeship programs for the childcare industry. And she was also instrumental in helping us to secure $70 million um, as a way to subsidize a $2 an hour increase for childcare worker. Wow. The, governor, the governor came out the other day and announced those bonus. And that, was, that bonus is tied to that $70 million that Tony secured for us. And of course, our wonderful commissioner, um, Commissioner Bai, who herself was previously a childcare provider, started as a family childcare provider. And she is in the fight. She's been in the fight, the worthy wage fight. So she, they will be joining us as... Um, special guests, along with a couple of other providers across the state and policy people to just, just celebrate this launch and celebrate this wonderful step in the right direction towards creating a pipeline for um, the early care industry. We're also really very blessed that we are embarking on a partnership with, with the New Haven Public School to create um, an apprenticeship program in the public school. And we are hoping that with this funding, we can launch and pilot an early child um, our early childhood apprenticeship program so that a high school person who's interested in working in early childhood or in, in, in education can graduate after two years with a degree in a minimal degree in early childhood education along with their high school diploma. So we're just bringing all of those folks together just to celebrate um, the launch of these initiatives on Monday. And where's the launch taking place tomorrow, Georgia? 
It's going to be at Hope Child Development Center, which is at 81 Olive Street. Um, and it is, you know, special invitees only, um, but we do welcome the media to come out and to <laughs> certainly celebrate with us and to highlight this really wonderful initiative that's happening across the state. All right, so, so how long will this pilot take? If, because you have an immediate need now to, to mm -hmm. daycare providers have an immediate need now. How long will this pilot take to get bodies into these opportunities? So Circle has actually been doing this work for eight years. We launched, um, we came up with our initiative some eight years ago. And a part of what we did was to work with other stakeholders to convince the state that this is a step that they need to take. And so we have been working with lots of different organizations in the greater New Haven area. And so we have a, a, a good system of finding people. Right now, we have two, um, eight people that's already being trained in our, in our pipeline. We are now going to be working with the New Haven Public Schools to see if we can identify students in their program that um, we will be working with as well. Um, and in addition to that, um, we have other organization that has been doing some aspect of this work for years. This is the first time though that the state has actually funded this initiative and has made it available on a large scale basis. And so people, we have 18 cohorts right now and the cohorts are made up of about 12, eight to 12 people. And so we've got over hundred people um, that's already in the system and some cohorts are going to run for uh, for three months and some will run for six months so there will be some folks available for hire in a short period of time and at least by six months we will um, be making about 100 people available for employment so uh, expenses for job child care uh, I would imagine is only going to grow as time goes by Mm -hmm. if it's if it's family generated like if the daycare industry depends on families to pay for the service i would imagine that those fees will have to grow over the next year or so and and now that you got this two dollar supplement but beyond that what happens like what would you like to see happen beyond that well one of the things um we know that needs to be needs to happen is that there needs to be significant federal investment in the childcare industry. We were really very disappointed when Build Back Better failed, um, because that would be would have been a game changer for parents and for the childcare industry. And I want to point out, Babs, that we talk about childcare in within the framework of parents and children, but a lot of people do not know or may not know that the childcare industry was deemed an essential, we were deemed essential workers during the pandemic. We were brought in to the state's emergency response um, to the crisis because what the governor and the state understood is that they were not gonna be able to respond to the health crisis without the childcare industry. The childcare industry is the workforce that supports all of Connecticut's workforce. And so the childcare industry was asked to step in 
to provide care for the nurses and the doctors and the firefighters and the first responders and the bankers and the grocery workers and the folks who work in a nursing home. We were called upon to deliver care for the children of those workers so that the state could respond to the pandemic. And so the state also has a role to play in this because while we recognize that the federal government is the only place that can bring the type of investment into the childcare system that's needed, the state absolutely has a role to play. And we are asking that the state step up and recognize that just like in the pandemic, you understood that you were not going to be able to keep Connecticut moving forward without the childcare industry, you have to make the necessary continued investment that's needed because we cannot keep asking parents and childcare providers to bear the full cost of a system that benefits every single person in the state. Wow, that's pretty powerful. I don't think people really thought about how the childcare industry supported all these first responders and frontline workers and necessary folks in the pandemic. I mean, so these churches had to go somewhere. They had to go somewhere and the governor called on us. The governor called on us and he met with us several times during the pandemic. He basically funded us to cover the cost of those um, providers, those parents that are in the bank and that were in the grocery stores that were first responders. Um, the majority, the, the majority of our families at Hope, they work in the healthcare industry. We could not shut down because they had to go to the um, to the hospital to care for folks. And for many folks, they feel like, well, you know, I don't have any kids, so this doesn't impact me. During the pandemic, the people who were getting sick and dying were seniors. None of them had kids. Most mm -hmm. of their kids are grown, and they're mostly dealing with child with with their grandkids. But they needed the childcare industry. The, the, the nursing home staff needed the childcare industry in order to show up for those seniors and to respond to their healthcare crisis. And so, what the business industry has recognized this, thankfully, because CBIA has now come out in full support of the childcare industry and increased investment of the childcare industry because they're hearing from their um, members that they cannot continue many of the disruptions of, um, of for their staff is related to childcare. Four out of five business owners in a recent childcare um, poll reported this, that the majority, the, the main reason why they are having difficulty with maintaining stable and predictable staffing is related to the childcare industry. This affects every single person, every single business, everyone across the board. And so there needs to be a federal response because we know the state of Connecticut cannot do it. Minimally, we're gonna need $700 million every year. That's a minimal, that's just to keep the childcare industry alive and floating. And the state of Connecticut will not be able to make that $700 million available each year, but they can absolutely start to make steps towards increasing the amount of um, investment that they make um, to, to this industry and for young children and families. So Georgia, what happens if we don't have reliable, safe daycare providers 
to support workers and or to just support. So what will happen is what happened during the pandemic is that parents can't go to work. But even more pernicious, um, Babs, and I'm so glad you asked that question because I've shared this multiple, multiple times. I don't think a lot of people know this. In 2016 and 2017, the Care for Kids program was shut down. This yes. was a subsidy that was made available to parents. And I'm glad that you remember that event. Um, it was a subsidy. I remember was... Care for Kids because I was a, I have four children. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at, at any given time, sometimes I could get it, sometimes I couldn't because it was overwhelming. Like it, yes. it, the demand was so great that you, mm -hmm. couldn't, you couldn't always you couldn't. access it. Right. And the, uh, for a lot of parents, that program was closed off to them in 2016 and 2017. The result was in that year, and it, it didn't happen previous to those years, and it hasn't happened subsequent to those years. Nobody's willing to tie the events together, but I am going to tie it together. Nine children, nine babies died six of them in unregulated care. That was such an extraordinary event for the state that the state launched a campaign around trusted licensed care. That event has never happened in the state before and it has not happened subsequently in the state. Nine babies died. So, so that means that somebody put their children in unlicensed, untrained daycare provider situations. And we lost six precious lives in that type of a setting. So we don't have to speculate as to what is going to happen. And that's why for me, this issue is such an urgent issue. It's not just about, again, supporting businesses. It's not just about supporting the developmental needs of young children. It's not just about helping parents like yourself, Babs, who needed access to care and needed help to pay for it. It's about these precious young children who are now going to, are, currently in a situation where parents cannot find care for them. I will share with you, Babs, that I have a classroom that has been shut down for over a year. And that classroom has been shut down because I don't have access to staff to open up that classroom. And those that's a slot for 16 children in that classroom. Right now, once we enroll our final child in our infant room, Hope will not have a space for infants for the next year. Wow. And that's because I, I have a classroom that's closed and I cannot move children as quickly out of classrooms and free up spaces to bring them in. No one will be able to access my toddler program unless a parent withdraws from our program. And Babs, that we are very representative of what's going on across the state. Classrooms are currently shut down right now. We have providers that are going to join us on Monday, both state-funded and um, non-state-funded programs are reporting that classrooms are shut down in their building and children are going unserved in the state because they cannot find the staff to open up those classrooms. That's what we're trying to highlight for every single person that's out there who are not aware of really what's going on in the state right now. Wow. So this, so you have to do a couple of things. You have to, I guess I would imagine you have to educate the public about what 
child care looks like and what it is. Mm-hmm. And you have to um, engage people to want to work in this industry. Yes. <laughs> You're right. We have that's to. That's a heavy both. lift. Girl, that's why I am so tired. <laughs> and this is why we are so tired. And this is why the child care industry came together um, at the beginning of this year and we rallied. And we gained in Connecticut national attention for the rally that we did. Mm-hmm. People from all over the country looked at what the childcare providers did because what we did was so unique. Every single ty- type of childcare provider across the state family childcare providers, group home providers, center based providers, private organizations public organizations, state-funded, non-state-funded, people in the rural area, people in the urban areas, they all came together and they decided we have to raise attention to the crisis that's going on. And we fought together to let parents and to let the state of Connecticut and legislators know that we cannot continue to underfund this critical infrastructure. In 2020, the governor referred to the childcare industry as a part of the state's crucial infrastructure. We would never say to the state, to our state residents, it's okay to drive on a bridge that is crumbling and we know the infrastructure is crumbling. We see all of the cracks. We see all of the broken hinges. We see all of the, the strain on the buttresses and but it's okay we can continue to drive across that bridge until it falls down and collapse (laughs) who is going to be okay with that and who is willing to be the one that's going to go down with the bridge and be the martyr in this fight but that's literally what this country is asking is asking of us and asking of all of us to do is to drive on a broken bridge and once the bridge collapses we are going to sing songs and remember the people who died on the bridge and then we're going to fix it then and we're saying at that time it's too late we can take preventative actions we can be proactive we know what's going to happen so why aren't we acting why aren't we taking the necessary steps? Wow. Okay, so so you got a fight on your hands. You've got some good folks fighting for you. We do. That we do. And I we are really grateful because we also have a coalition, um, the Connecticut for Childcare Future, and mm-hmm. that is a coalition that's really bringing all of the providers um, from across the state together to engage in this fight. We saw the power of what happened when we decided to do our day, our morning without childcare. We secured $183 million for the childcare industry. And that, to put that in context, Babs, is more, it, 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 it was equivalent to half of the total early care budget at the Ooh. time. So that tells you also, one, the state is severely under investing in childcare and it can do better. Childcare represents less than 10% of the state's educational budget. But you know what childcare does not represent? It does not represent less than 10% of a child's um, brain development. 
a lot of people may start to hear more and more of this, 80% of a child's brain is developed by the time that they're three, 90% by the time that they are five. I do not understand the economic sense to invest in, invest 10% of your budget in building 90% of a child's brain and then invest the other 90% of your budget in trying to fix the poor workmanship that occurred as a result of investing 10% of the child brain. And that's the decision that the state is making because all some of the issues that we're seeing in the public schools is a direct result of the underinvestment in the early care and education system. Well, that's As been the um, that's been the head start conversation in the early childhood conversation for years and years and years. I mean, I I I used to run Jumpstart for young children, and uh, and we used to have these conversations all the time about school readiness. And when does school readiness school readiness can't start at kindergarten? It's got to start way before kindergarten. You know, you it want does. kids to their brains are developing. You want to give them the, the tools that they need to, to start that development and to move along, not have gaps in it. So, And Babs, we have been, you have been having this conversation. We have been having this conversation. And I'm going to use another analogy. We, you know, we are asking a contractor to build a house. We hire two contractors and we say, okay, first contractor, we're going to give you 10% of our budget and we're going to ask you to build 90% of this house. And then I'm going to give the second contractor the other 90% of my budget to basically finish what's being done on the house and fix anything that um, will result from the work that the the contractor that was doing 90% of the work will do. We would never do that to build our house. We would know that that would be a ridiculous use of our funds, <laughs> a waste of our resources, because that person is going to be coming up with a plan and doing the best that they can to buy all of the materials, to find all of the labor and the work to build something up. And we know what the result is going to be. And so that's how we have decided in in the state of Connecticut and across the country that we are gonna build children. And it's, and it's a waste of resources. It's a waste of um, the precious time that we have to build those brains so that they can be ready for lifelong learning. And then we pay on the back end. Yes, we pay on, we pay on the back end with the school to prison pipeline. That's, what, what, that, that's how we pay. Absolutely. So, so tomorrow, uh, the legislative people are coming, uh, Rosa DeLauro, Tony Walker, all the folks are coming to sort of support um, uh, this effort. Mm -hmm. um, they've worked hard and brought some money this way. Um, and so what would you like to see happen after the fact, Georgia? Like, what is the dream? The dream, my dream, hmm. Oh. Well, I have a dream that I can't share with you, Babs, but <laughs> <laughs> it involves Idris Elba. <laughs> Girl, no, you can't have him. That's my man. <laughs> we have the same well, dream. You, you said to share my dream. <laughs> Wait, we have the same dream. <laughs> yes, yes. But outside of Idris, my dream um, is the dream that I'm living every day um, at my center at Hope. 
every day I go into a center with people who are dedicated and devoted to raising up really wonderful, amazing children. And they pour themselves into those children every day. And we are so blessed and privileged to have parents who come in and partner with us in that effort. And we have the additional privilege of seeing what the work we both do together result in when we have children who come into the center who are delayed and who have um, complex medical issues and who have, um, you know, just, and we're seeing a lot more of these, especially with children who are home in the pandemic, who were not developing um, or who, who are not going to ever develop because they have their autism, uh, develop at a normal um, pace as other children because they're autistic or because they have Down syndrome or some other um, you know, intellectual disability. And we have seen those children thriving in schools. My dream is that what we replicate at Hope, what we do at Hope every day can be replicated in every single center across the state and across the country. And that's what I work to do. That's what Circle was designed to do because we know that for lots of childcare providers, lots of early educators, it's not that they don't have the skill and the, and the ability to do this work, is that they don't have the resources. And so I know that if they have the resources, that what happens at Hope Child Development Center every day can absolutely happen across the city, across the greater New Haven area and across the state and across the country. That is my, that is the dream that I work to replicate across the state. I do that in my work at Hope. I do that in my work through Circle. Um, I, I am doing that with my advocacy at the state and the national level with my work with the National Association for the Education of Young Children. And if at the end of my life, Babs, that any aspect of that dream can be realized well beyond the borders of hope, mm -hmm. then, you know, it would be okay that I didn't get Idris. Um, I can go, <laughs> I can go to heaven. <laughs> I'll, like, I'll wait till I... you with him from uh, Barbados or somewhere, wherever we're, wherever hey, we're so vacationing. Get... <laughs> oh, Babs, I'm going to be dreaming with you too, girl. I'm going to be behind you. Don't try to steal. But truly, if that is achieved in any measure, um, that would be ultimately the dream that I have and the dream that I hope I can see realized in my lifetime. Well, I so appreciate you coming on this morning um, prior to your uh, event on Monday. I appreciate this. I, I, I think you do an amazing job of elevating the plight and the need uh, for uh, quality early childhood development and education, um, quality uh, child care centers, quality people um, serving this community and working with these children. So uh, I, I'm just so glad that I, I talked to you this morning about uh, something that sort of flies under the radar oftentimes when we talk about, you know, where resources ought to be allocated. Children is always the last thing on the list. Mm -hmm. And That's I don't fun. understand that because they're going to be the ones taking care of us when we are in Barbados with possibly Idris. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
And that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Goldberg. It was you lovely so to see you welcome. again. It was lovely and to see lovely you to too. talk to you. And I want you to call me again. Call me anytime you want to come on and you want to raise this. Uh, you want to let us know, keep us informed and let us know how we could be better help to you and to this cause. Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for always supporting the work that we do and elevating um, to the to the community the work that's actually happening um, with us. So thank right. you. Thank you. And enjoy your weekend. You too. All right. I'll see you soon. Right. Thank you. All right, Harry, that's our Friday. Uh, we are on our way out. We will be back on Monday and we hope you all be safe out there. Get out and enjoy this day because it's going to be very pretty this weekend or at least today and tomorrow. So I'll see y'all. Bye, Georgia. Bye. <laughs>